Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Today's show is brought to you by the award-winning NordVPN. I've been using Nord for years now because it secures my internet traffic and keeps my data private, especially when traveling or on public Wi-Fi. NordVPN has servers in 60 countries, does not log your data, unlocks Netflix and other geographic restrictions on entertainment content, and has a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best deal on a subscription, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com slash NordVPN or use the promo code BT Future. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Johan Bostrom. He's the co-founder and chief strategy officer of InRiver. Johan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at InRiver is very innovative and cool. And I'm sure a lot of people have probably even, you know, used your technology kind of without even knowing it, right? Or or had it or ordered something from a company or whatnot that leverages your technology. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I, I think that it's very hard to walk around downtown of any major city or actually do some online shopping without seeing or getting in contact with content that's been produced and distributed via our platform. Very cool. So maybe before we dive deeper into InRiver, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. So so were you, where were you kind of born and raised? I'm born and raised in, in Sweden, actually in the northern part of Sweden. So if you would draw a straight line from where I'm from to North America, you would end up somewhere around Anchorage. Okay. So I'm pretty used to cold winters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I now, now live in Chicago. So uh, I, uh, I've been moving south, but I still enjoy cold winters here in Chicago. <laughs> so you went to university. What did you take and why? Well, I, uh, I spent a lot of time uh, in philosophy, actually, which I think is a, is a very underrated topic. Uh, it, it, it teaches you to think in different ways. Uh, I also did a lot of human-computer interaction. I, I did some, uh, some systems design courses. I never really got to a point where I, I had a master's degree because I, I kept on doing new things and starting companies and stuff. So uh, all in all, I, I started working and eventually led, led into InRiver. So, uh, but I, I have a, a pretty broad background when it comes to education, to say the least. Interesting. Okay, so... Walk us through your journey up until in River, and what gave you the idea to actually start in River. Well, I, I I started my career in what was then known as like multimedia, basically sure. distributed on a CD-ROM. Uh, sure, I remember so those days. <laughs> I, I worked at a couple. The, the, the days where you had one spin CD-ROM with 150 kilobits a second, you know, you had to optimize everything for for the slowness of the CD-ROM. 
and we did a lot of uh, educational stuff. We did a lot of some some games even. Uh, but the the mo for the most part, we actually helped uh, larger companies with sales enablement. Oh, and eventually, of course, the web came around, and the skill set that we had was like telling good stories. That that is what we did uh, via multimedia, and and that sort of played very well with with the web. So so that's how I ended up in the early days of the '90s. Started doing some some stuff with the web and. I was uh, involved in some of the first really like commercially successful uh, e-commerce initiatives in Sweden. And uh, during the telco explosion in Sweden, we started working with some larger companies that had real issues with product introduction workflows and, and getting their content distributed to all the brand websites and, and all the geo websites that they had. And of course, also for in-store displays and stuff like that. And, we started building solutions to sort of centralize the creation and the distribution of all that content. And basically we built a, a PIM, a product information management solution. We didn't have an acronym for it. Gartner hadn't invented the acronym back then. <laughs> when I looked at it in hindsight, that's what, that was exactly what we did. But as sort of bespoke development, um, we, after a while, took all that knowledge that we had gained and productified it and created a partner network that could uh, help us deliver this to, to uh, a broader market. And uh, that's today a company known as InRiver. Very cool. No, that, that's, that's really cool. So walk us through what, what InRiver was initially and how it's changed over the last, well, you guys have been around almost a couple decades at this point. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. InRiver, as you know it today, is basically founded in 2007 uh, when we basically divested our services arm. We stopped doing any other kind of information management than PIM. Uh, but uh, it's, it's been a journey. Um, the world's changed a lot during this journey, as we all know. Sure. Um, we started doing a lot of work within retail and for consumer brands. Okay. Uh, I think they were just ahead of the pack uh, when it came to the realizing the value of product content and being, being uh, really good at telling a good product story for all their touch points. Uh, we did that for a long time. Um, we eventually ventured out of our Nordic heritage, and we are now in 20-something countries. I wow. live and work out of our Chicago office. So we, we have a sort of a, a, a different set of geographies that are, of course, also different in many ways. But I think the biggest shift, at least uh, if I look at the last few years, has been uh, where sort of the B2C-focused uh, companies, the, the B2C-focused brands, uh, are still doing what we help them with. But most of the customers that we are interacting with today and that are using InRiver are B2B uh, companies and mostly brand manufacturers. Okay. Do you want to maybe give us some examples of, of how companies leverage you guys? You, you don't have to mention any uh, customers' names if you don't want to, but just so people are clear on, on the InRiver or like what solutions you guys provide these uh, companies? Yeah, absolutely. I, what we do basically is that we, we um, implement process support and that might seem and look boring, but it's really key in order to be able to utilize the resources to create great content that really converts in all the touch points where you're interacting with your customers. So 
when you look at a, a company, let's say a manufacturing company, they typically have some back office sources like an enterprise resource planning system, like an Oracle or an SAP or an M4M3 or something. And, and that, that system is internally facing. It's really good at managing transactions, logistics, uh, manufacturing logistics, and all that good stuff that, that, that's absolutely necessary and, and plays a very important part in, in sort of the physical supply chain. However, uh, they don't have the same sort of capabilities to, to create great product content that, that tells a great product story that helps a buyer to buy uh, that's externally facing. So what we do is we help them to set up the processes in order to enable them to create a factory, not just for their physical products, but for their content, to really create great product stories that enable the buyers and the shoppers to buy uh, in, on Amazon, on their own brand websites, uh, to help their salespeople uh, do a better job, to, you know, to enable their service uh, organization to do a better job. So uh, informational content is actually really crucial in all parts of the supply chain and, and the information supply chain needs to be even more effective and even faster than the physical one in order to be uh, a real uh, great player within the, the, any sort of e-commerce space today. So, so that, that's really where the value lies in InRiver. We help our customers tell better product stories to sell more product. Okay, and then how does it, okay, so they, they, they set up InRiver, but then you mentioned it goes to like their Amazon store, their e-commerce platforms. How does that actually happen, that content that they're creating with you guys and, and the processes that they're creating with you guys? Well, the, the, of course, there's a lot of different roles involved in producing okay. all this content. There, there's engineers or designers maybe, depending on if you do furniture or, or if you do apparel or if you do industrial uh, components. You, you have designers and engineers producing a lot of this stuff upstream. Uh, then, of course, you have copywriters, you have photographers, uh, you have merchandisers, and a lot of others involved in creating this product story. So it basically starts as a bare-bones skew, an item number with a cryptical name, 30 characters, uppercase, coming from the ERP system. And when it's gone through the process, uh, it's, a, it's a great product story with all the imagery, all the videos, all the context that you could possibly want and need in order to make an educated buying decision. So uh, that's why I call it the factory because there's, there's, a, there's really a factory involved here, but it produces product stories, not physical product. Interesting. Yeah, because you're right. Some of those systems and, and just, you need a ton of people involved to give you the best and accurate kind of descriptions, but you also need kind of written in a way that describes the product, what you're trying to actually sell, and then how it's kind of their feature set and how it's kind of similar and different to potentially other products that that company makes or their competitors' products. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you, if you look at like, especially consumer behavior, but I would say actually B2B buyer behavior today, uh, it, it, it's, it's not really brand specific anymore. You, you will see that most of the search phrases wouldn't, won't contain the brand anymore. So the, the, the product needs to be able to sell itself, to stand on its own two feet and to tell its own story, uh, even being disconnected from the brand. The brand's still important. It's not like it, it's, it's not important to have a strong brand, but it doesn't uh, allow you to be successful on its own anymore. 
Uh, and the, the more research shoppers and buyers do before they actually come to the point where they make their purchasing decision, uh, the, the more they research, the more content they need in order to be able to differentiate the different offerings they're considering. So uh, if you can tell a better product story, if you can put your product in a better context for the shopper or the buyer, you're more likely to sell that product than if you can't do that. Uh, having one image and a, a, a bullet list of, of benefits is no longer enough in order to differentiate yourself in, in the way that the, the, the buyer and the consumer actually expects you to differentiate today. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like I, there's even times where you're physically in a store and you start, you know, reading reviews about a product you're looking at. And then if it's cheaper online, you may or may not buy it from that retailer. Right. And, and so I think you're right. More and more people spend a, a, quite a bit of time researching because it, it takes, sure, they might spend an hour researching a product, but you know, they're in front of the TV or they're doing a bunch of other stuff as well. Right. And it's become so easy to do that. And, and to leverage a system like you guys to actually make your product stand out is, is gotta be kind of a challenge, right? Uh, well, I think that it's very hard to actually do this sure. without a proper process in place. Okay. So uh, even marketing, which I would say today, especially product marketing, is, is one of the, the least industrialized processes in the world. And, and it needs that change agent that we introduce. You see, I, I think there's like two types of process change. You have your continuous improvement that sort of slowly and gradually makes things a little bit better. And most of our customers do this in like Excel spreadsheets and, and email and, and Word documents and stuff, which is really hard to do when you're managing loads of content for, for hundreds of hundreds of touch points. So you really need a vital enabler to do that sort of breakthrough improvement and, and to really change the rules of the game. So when we introduce InRiver into an organization, it changes how they work, how they produce content. It increases the quality and the quantity of the content. And it also makes it easier for them to target the right content to the right channel and properly used within their own channels, their own commerce initiatives or, or brand websites. They can actually also be, be better at targeting each individual shopper or buyer. Because if you have loads of content available, it's easier to put together the right product information for the right buyer or shopper at the right point in time. If you only have one image and one description, everyone will see the same thing. Right. And it will most likely be outside of their context, the reason that they're buying the product. So you need more content in order to tell a better product story in the context of the buyer. So content has always been king, but if content is king, context is King Kong and they, they go together like horse and carriage They you need both and you need more content to be in context for a buyer or your shopper. If that makes sense. No, that, that makes total sense. Well, and different platforms take even different lengths of content, different size of imagery and, and whatnot. And so having a platform to manage all that, doing that manually is actually like a huge nightmare. Yes. <laughs> it is. It's costly and it's it's time consuming. So uh, there, there's numerous reasons that companies go for for in River. Um, 
one of them is, of course, to, to be able to sell more product, to, to be able to, to really produce better content that, that converts. But, but it's also to shorten time to market. A lot of our customers, they are ready to ship a product uh, physically, but they don't have the content to sell it. And if you don't have the content, you won't have a need for the physical product. So you, you really need to shorten time to market too and, and increase the number of saleable days for a product. And if you're in, in fast fashion, that is, of course, super important because if your product life cycle is two weeks, right. well, you don't have time to wait two months for the content to get produced. It needs to be ready when the product is ready to hit the shelves. Uh, so, so there's so many reasons that you need a PIM, but those, I think, are the two main ones. Better content and faster so that you can go to market faster and increase saleable days. Okay. No, that I, I 100% agree with you. But I'm curious then, so if I have a physical product and I sign up with you guys, and I'm sure it's probably a little bit different depending on what kind of industry I'm in um, and probably how many products I actually have, but how long roughly does it take to actually get up and running and using your system and, and creating content? And then do you help me or have a team of people that can help me create some of this content? Uh, we don't create any content okay. at all. Kind of uh, we supply a software as a service based tool. So uh, it, we, we have a partner network that wow. can help you one, get the, get the process designed and, and implemented correctly in InRiver and then connect InRiver to all your touch points. Right. Uh, and we also have partners that can help you do like translations and localization. We have partners that can help you set up a good photo process. We have partners that can help you uh, do better printed matter. So it depends on your your needs. Uh, and when when we know what your needs are, we'll put together the right team to help you uh, get and get onto the solution and and become as effective as you as as we see you can be. Uh, quickly. Uh, sometimes this takes three months. Sometimes it takes six to eight. Uh, and most of that time is actually for uh, the, the organization to, to gather all the content that they need to get in place. Because when we get go into the customer, they typically have their data and their content all over the place. And it's, it's unstructured right. and it's in spreadsheets, it's in emails, it's on file servers. Uh, that needs to be collected. It needs to be normalized. And we need, of course, to increase the quality of it before we sort of do the initial import to the PIM. So uh, there's there's a lot of stuff that, that is not related actually to InRiver as a product. It's more related to uh, getting the content in shape before we start uh, the factory and the, the process to maintain and produce more and better content. Right. No, that makes total sense. So you guys have been doing this a long time, and we talked about it earlier, that you guys have evolved over time. How have you guys kind of adapted, changed, added, and kept your product very current and, and relevant and moved with the industry? Because obviously you've seen it probably come from being more dominated by e-commerce, or is there still quite a bit of physical space, or is it a bit of both? Or, or how do you guys, how have you guys kind of, transition the product with how the industry has changed? Well, I, I think we, we, we've been lucky in the sense that uh, our core product that we uh, went to market with in 2007 
had a lot of the properties that customers today are looking for. We might have been a little bit too early with some of the stuff we did. We did. Oh, cool. But uh, there's, of course, been a few transitions. The, the biggest one, I would say, is that we, we are now a SaaS-based solution. So basically, we are product information management on tap. Uh, we uh, have a multi-tenant solution on continuous release, meaning that all our customers are running in our cloud and they are always running on the latest, greatest version of InRiver. It also means that we can do smaller incremental updates to the software to, to keep it ahead of the path. Uh, one of the things we released uh, last year was a, a tool called Syndicate. Uh, which basically helps you to easily map whatever content and data that you have to the requirements of a marketplace, a retailer, or a distributor. So we can easily get your data from your InRiver PIM out to uh, Amazon or Granger or, or to your reseller and distributor network. Uh, and, and that's sort of where we see the markets heading. It, it, it's, it, of course, the, the number of touch points is, is constantly increasing. The requirements that the retailers, distributors, and marketplaces are putting on uh, their suppliers is just increasing uh, every day. And another thing that we also have been starting to work a lot with right now is being able to analyze the value of that content to see how it performs in the channel. So you not only have the ability to produce great stories, but you can actually compare how effective it is in comparison to your competitors. So you can see that you, do, you don't only have an effective factory, but that the factory produces the right product stories that actually moves the needle in the channel. Um, and that this is why the space is so fun because it's moving so fast. There's so much things happening uh, that every day I wake up, I learn something new. And, and that is sort of, what I think is is what makes at least me tick is is to learn new things and figure out new solutions to the challenges that our customers have because it, it's uh, it's mind boggling how fast the market's moving right now. No, that that's very cool. How do you guys decide then what new features to add to the platform? Because you guys are obviously like a mature platform. I'm sure sometimes you get some of your bigger clients or maybe some of your smaller clients want certain things and they potentially want to give you a bunch of money to implement those things. But as a, you know, software as a service platform, sometimes you want to make those kind of customizations and other times it doesn't really make sense. And how do you decide what to build or not build? Well, there, I think there's two distinct sets of features that we add. One is the ones that are good ideas coming from our customers uh, and our partners. Uh, we shouldn't forget our partner network. Right. Uh, they, they have a lot of good ideas about additional functionality or, or in many cases, just changing the way things work to, to make it easier to use or, or to, to be able to do something that is repetitive in a more automated way. Uh, and then we have the things that we see are going to move the needle uh, maybe a little bit more into the future. Um, so we're building things today, which I can't go into, that sure. we think is going to move the needle uh, a year from now or maybe 18 months from now, uh, where we see the markets heading. And that's where we sort of take a bet. 
Uh, and we try and, and, and listen to our customers and listen to our partners uh, before we do stuff like that so that we know that we are at least in agreement about where the market's heading uh, before we start doing something. Now, InRiver is also a very configurable platform and it can be extended almost indefinitely by our partners and customers. So if you're a customer and you have a use case that's more or less only yours, you have a really good idea that can differentiate you on the market, we don't hamper that process. You can actually add that yourself to the InRiver platform and you will still be on continuous release. So we'll still keep you upgraded and updated, but you will have your own specific business logic that makes you more effective than your competitors in what you do. And, and I think that is also something that is sort of hard to do when you are a SaaS platform. Uh, like you said, it, it, it's something that you, you cannot always have all customers get everything they want from you as a, as a vendor, right. but you can actually let them do that themselves, which is the way we have chosen to do it so that we don't pull, sort of pollute the platform with features that only one or a few customers want and need. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and that's actually like a really smart way of doing it, right? Because especially when you've, you've been around for so long, it's, it's tricky sometimes to because you can very much, if, if you built everything that every customer ever wanted, your interface would just be like a bunch of buttons, right? And no, most people would would only use maybe a quarter of them, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you look at uh, most of the solutions that's been around for a long time, like, like Microsoft Word. Sure. You turn on all the features in Word, you can't see the document for all the buttons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, so so it, it becomes inherently complex to use. Now, I think we, we take pride in removing buttons from the user interface sure. more than we actually take pride in adding them. Because our users, their marketers, their merchandisers, their product managers, they, they are not data geeks. Uh, they're not you know, in front of the computer because they think it's fun to be in front of a computer. They want to get things done. They want to put products to market. And, and that's what we help them do. So simplicity is one of our core values, and I think one of our most important core values. And simplicity needs to go all the way out to our end users because they are actually, I think, benefited by the fact that we simplify things, not that we make things complex. Because it's complex enough what we do. (laughs) We shouldn't add any complexity that's not necessary. So are you guys doing a bunch of user testing then with with your clients or... or to re to refine some of these interfaces and, and remove some of these buttons or, or walk us through that process. We do some user testing, but I, we, we do have our customer advisory boards okay. that okay. we get together with. Um, and, and they will show us and tell us like, look, I can do this in this way, but if you could change this, I could do 10 times as much in the same amount of time. Uh, and to, to be frank, I mean, we, we're a software vendor. We are not merchandisers, product managers, and, and marketers by trade. Right. So listening to them is absolutely crucial because they are the ones that know best how the solution actually should work on that level of detail. We're not. Uh, we, we're probably uh, better at figuring out how to get this out 
to them in an effective way as a SaaS platform. We are probably good at figuring out where the market's heading to help them stay ahead of the pack in their in their business. Uh, but when it comes to the sort of the user experience, the users are the ones we listen to the most. They are the ones that guide us. Sure, that makes sense. Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks, an all-in-one small business invoicing and accounting solution. I've been using FreshBooks for over a decade to send estimates for time and expense tracking, sending invoices, and collecting payments online. Then at tax time, I just generate a report that can be sent off to an accountant. To get a free trial of FreshBooks, please go to buildingthefutureshow.com slash FreshBooks. And then how do you guys manage security? Because it's got to be pretty tricky with all the different integrations and devices and, and everything that's going on. <laughs> Without a doubt. Without a doubt, yes. Um, I mean, we, we, uh, we have the we're running everything on on microsoft's azure cloud okay. so uh we get a lot of our base security and monitoring and everything from microsoft so we don't have to invent the wheel ourselves nice but uh that that doesn't mean that we don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about security too sure and uh that is one of the or maybe the biggest uh, challenge when it comes to uh, SaaS, because sure. uh, as we know, the market's heading towards SaaS, and it's heading towards best-of-breed components that you can put together to create a solution that fits you like a hand in a glove. But it also means that there's more integrations and less control of the servers themselves. Thus, uh, security becomes something that IT organizations need to uh, put a lot of, of, of effort into. And of course, uh, this is something that the industry also as a whole need to focus on in order to make things not just secure, but making it secure while not hampering the users to get their, their stuff done. Because it, it's easy to make things secure. You just turn off all the user interfaces and all the APIs and everything's super secure. Sure. <laughs> but that would take away the whole value of the solution. So, so it's a constant battle of making it easy and accessible at the, and at the same time secure. Uh, and I think we are, like all other SaaS vendors, uh, spending a lot of time, focus, and money on, on doing that. Um, but uh, again, I think the, there's very few companies that can have an internal server part that's more secure than Microsoft can do. Sure. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of, of manpower and money. Microsoft's got more manpower and money on security than any other company in the world. So uh, they, they are really good at threat detection and everything, and, and we rely on them to do a lot of that heavy lifting. Got you. Um, how does analytics play into uh, InRiver as well? Uh, it's, it's playing a bigger and bigger role. Um, we are currently revamping our user interface. Okay. Um, not in order just to make it easier to use and so forth, because that's of course one of the goals, but one other goal is to make insights actionable. Um, there, there's been a lot of analytics companies popping up in the commerce space. There's digital shelf analytics, there's uh, like Google Analytics, and you have Adobe Analytics for your own own channels and loads of other sources. 
Um, but these are all separate and they're all separate dashboards. And the people that look at those dashboards are typically not the ones that are producing the content. They're not the product owners or the merchandisers. Right. It's the web people that are looking at it. So what we want to do is we want to gather all that data, all the data points that, that, that can help our users make better decisions about their product story and make that actionable. So build not analytics into analytics dashboards, but actually build it into the solution itself. So when you look at a SKU, you look at a product, you look at a category, you can actually see how well you're performing in all those touch points and make educated decisions about where you want to take your product story and how you want to take that product story to the next level. Yeah, that's that's actually really powerful because you're right. Like those third-party uh, analytics providers can be really good in in certain instances, but if it's if it's not directly coming from the platform, it can potentially be a lot of work to implement that. But if you have it built right into in River, that's you know like it saves a bunch of people a ton of time, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's not, I mean, you have your Google Analytics or, or Adobe Analytics for your own channels. And that's a great tool to have and, and to learn about your customer behavior in that way. Uh, but in many cases, it's not just the site itself that you need to optimize. You need to optimize the content. Yeah. Because the, the content eventually is what the consumer or the buyer interacts with. Interacts with. So, uh, if you look at it, very few buyers would go into a, a, a web shop and, and say, I only buy from, from platform X or platform Y. They don't care about the platform. They care about the product information and they, they care about having a frictionless buying journey. And that is mostly about the content, not about the platform. So being able to analyze if your content is effective is as important as looking at if your checkout process uh, creates friction. Both are important, so you should do both, but very few do A-B testing on content today, but they do A-B testing or even multivariate testing on the checkout process. But I, I wanna get to something that happens before. I wanna see to that people actually put it in the cart, uh, not just know why they abandoned it or, or why they didn't check out. Yeah, no, that you're right, because the more data you have and the more insight you have on what your customers are doing and kind of where they drop off or where they convert or what copy they like or don't like, you know, it only makes it better for everyone, right? Even even the customer. Uh, absolutely. I, I look at this and when I talk to our customers, I say that you've got to have an, an, an outside in perspective on what you do. Right. I think most companies and, and I don't think we are any different. We are way too focused on inside out, how we're going to produce things and send them out to the market. We're not looking at the buyer, the, the, the consumer or the buyer and looking at an outside in perspective. So what does this buyer need? in order to quickly get their stuff done. If you look at the B2B buyer, the frictionless buying journey is the best possible customer experience, meaning that you guide them to quickly find what they need and make it super simple for them to get that ship delivered and, and fix their problem, the situation they're in. If it's a consumer, they probably wanna compare. They wanna know why this TV set is better than this TV set or why this camera is better than this camera. If you can make that easy for them, well, you're more likely to sell than if you make it hard. It's, 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 I mean, th this is, this is uh, common sense, basically. 
So, so I think that that's where we need to go. We need to start thinking in another way. Uh, and uh, I, I see that happening in, in the market today. When I talk to customers today, it's a completely different mindset than just a few years ago. And, and uh, I, I really like the fact that they're looking more into how the buyers buy or the shoppers shop than they're looking at how can we uh, like present something to them and how can we make this look pretty because all of that is is important but it's it's way less important than creating a frictionless buying journey yeah you're you're totally right i, I think in a lot of cases pe- there's so many factors that make people kind of buy something or not buy something and being able to optimize those is going to set you know a lot of companies apart right from their competitors by by optimizing those experiences Absolutely. It's the quality is also, of course, important because if you're, I often use the example, if, if, you're, if your gross weight is lower than your net weight, that might not be a big issue. Okay. But it means that it's very visible to anyone that looks at your data. And uh, if they can't even trust you with the weight of the product, should they trust the rest of it? No, they shouldn't. They don't. And it's a very big risk there that you take when you don't have quality. So quality is important. Then, of course, it's it's about telling a story because I think I return I return to the word story all the time because it it's sort of what always brought people together. Uh, it tells us who we are, where we're from, why we're here, uh, our hopes and fears, everything. We 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 are wired to to uh, sort of tell stories and and listen to stories. And if you uh, have a good product story and you can have high quality data supporting that, you are very likely to be successful when the buyer or the shopper goes out there and have enormous amounts of content to choose from, enormous transparency in the marketplace. But they will find you because you will have better SEO. And when they find you, they will see that you have a better product story. You can tell the story about the whole universe around your product and why that's so much better than your competitors. So we need to figure out how to get product information to become a story so that it actually fits into the context of the buyer. Uh, this is not easy to do. We, sure. But just by implementing InRiver, you will not be successful in that. Uh, but with InRiver in place, you'll have the tools and the processes to produce that when you know what your consumer or buyer needs and wants. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and just correct me if I'm wrong here. The nice thing about basically the internet these days is if you and I created a product at, that launched today and nobody's ever heard of us and we can push that out to Amazon and a bunch of other platforms, we're basically listed in, cert- in certain categories with potentially some of the biggest brands in the world that everybody's heard of. And then right next to it is kind of that product we just created because of the internet these days. Right. And if we tell our story properly and we get our kind of uh, text and imaging or images, sorry, looking professional and, and good, potentially people would start buying our product over maybe some of the bigger brands. Is that fair to say? I, I would completely agree with that. Uh, I think if you look at how searches are performed today on like Amazon, uh, fewer and fewer searches are, it contains a brand name. 
Uh, people aren't looking for a certain brand of, of like baby wipes. They're looking for baby wipes. Yeah. And uh, for a lot of the companies, the incumbents that have a very strong brand, this is a challenge because as we know, whether you are Walmart, Kroger or Amazon, you're going to figure out that batteries is a really lucrative business and you're going to have your own private label. And uh, if you're Amazon, as an example, you know more about consumer behavior than probably any other company on earth. Right. So you know what, what entices them to buy. And not only do you have that, you have all those reviews about the product. Let's right. say that you are a smart company like Amazon with enormous resources. You can actually figure out to do sentiment analysis on all that. So you can actually understand the sentiment of the buyer. And then you actually have the ability to, to really massage your product story. So it fits the sentiment of the buyer. And that's very hard if you are a manufacturing company that is a, a backseat driver. Because you're not only a backseat driver, you're a backseat driver with a blindfold on. And they're the ones communicated with the consumer. So they know about the consumer behavior. So that's why I think these insights are also very important because the, if the vendors want to get back into the driver's seat, they got to start interacting with the actual buyer or actual consumer in, in, in a way that not only means that you interview them after they purchased, you have, you have to actually understand their buying journey. Right. No, totally. Yeah. That's, that's actually really quite fascinating. Right. And then I, I think the other thing too, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on is it sounds like, just because your copy and imagery works today doesn't mean it's going to work tomorrow. Is that fair to say that you kind of need to constantly be updating and changing and, and trying new things and, and adapting? Or, or what are your thoughts around that? I think uh, this is the time to experiment. Uh, I think yeah, that's, that's why I think, yet again, it's so fun to be in this business because it's constantly changing. Right. Uh, and, and the way that consumers uh, work and the way that buyers work is completely different now than just a few years ago. So uh, you got to be able to adapt. And I think the next big thing, uh, the next big shift is going to be uh, about uh, like augmented reality, virtual reality. You, you might not even go into the store. You, you put on your virtual reality headset and you, you are in the virtual store and you're no longer shopping from pages and, and coming to a product detail page. You're actually going to look at that product almost like you're in, in real life. Uh, it, it might sound crazy today, but I think when we see uh, the headsets that is currently in the works at Apple and, and Microsoft and, and Google, when, when they start coming out and when you start seeing even from a, you know, if you use a laptop or an iPad or something that you can really get an immersive experience, that's going to shift uh, the buying behavior even more. Um, you, you already see that a lot of our successful com com customers, they're, they're using our merchandising on media capabilities so they can actually Take a picture of a room, let's say, and they can put hotspots on that room so you can actually navigate within the context of the room that, that you are trying to furnish. Uh, that, that makes a huge difference. When, when that becomes three-dimensional and you can actually start twisting and turning and, and, and really having a very immersive experience, that's going to 
also mean that you got to produce that content. Right. So um, there, there's there's also a need to be able to 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 enhance the way that we actually do that today. It's way too complicated today, and and companies like Adobe is doing fantastic things to make that easy. Uh, and so it's all sort of converging right now. And a few years from now, I think we're going to see that that's going to be mainstream. It's not just going to be one picture is not enough. Now it's like 10 pictures. It's going to be pictures is not enough. The videos are not enough. You've got to have AR and 3D content available in order to, to be uh, ahead of the pack. Sure. Well, and it's really cool that you guys are adopting and early adopters of these up and coming technologies as well and, and starting to roll some of that stuff out of your out to your clients, right? Well, I think that one of one of our roles that we play is to have strong leadership and clear vision uh, right. and, and sort of try to, to think ahead. Uh, what I always felt is important is to, to sort of disrupt both internally and externally when it's needed. Um, we've done a lot of, of internal disruption over the years because we've seen that the market's shifting and we, we need to, in order to stay ahead and in order to help our customers stay ahead, uh, take big leaps and sometimes leaps of faith and to say that this is where the market's heading. We're going to go there full force ahead and then grab that market opportunity and help our customers to be more successful in selling their products than their competitors are. Um, because we're really in a symbiosis with our customers in that sense. If, if we can help them become successful, we're both more successful. And, and that means that we can't come up with stuff after the fact. We need to be ready when it happens. <laughs> so yeah, so that, that's where the leap of faith is, right? <laughs> sure. No, I 100% agree with you. But I, but I think that it, it's cool that you guys are willing to, to do that, right? A lot of companies, especially with some of the types of clients and big brands that you guys have as clients, sometimes that's really tricky because sometimes those big brands can be kind of archaic in adopting new technologies, right? So trying to push yourselves forward, push your customers forward as well, right, is actually like a big deal. Uh, absolutely. And, and it's becoming a bigger and bigger deal, I think, as, as the market is progressing faster and faster. Uh, so uh, and one of the best decisions we've ever made was to go all in on true cloud, true SaaS. Right. Uh, because without being SaaS, it's very hard to do effective syndication, as an example. So let's say you have a thousand customers and they're all on sort of different releases of the platform, it's very hard to do an integration to, let's say, um, a marketplace or to a, a modern commerce platform, because it's going to be a thousand different adapters running to do that. We have to have one. Yeah. Uh, because all our customers can utilize the same foundation. So we can actually do things more effectively internally that in its turn translates to our customers being able to stay ahead of the pack. Uh, that was a very, I would say, actually a bold move because it costs a lot of money to do all that. And, and it means that you've got to come together as a company and go all in on doing it. Uh, but when you come out of that journey, uh, you're in a better place. 
and our customers are in a better place. And I don't think anyone at InRiver or in our customer base looks back and says, oh, I, I, I really long for the days when we had a server in the basement. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> sure. like, no, one, no one has ever said that. Uh, but when we took the decision many years ago, a lot of people said, you're crazy. Yeah, that, that that's that's really that's really a big thing to do. You're taking a, a big risk here. And yeah, to some extent, but there's a bigger risk in not doing it than to do it. So we 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 and we really like to be uh, sort of in control of our own fate in that sense. And uh, we're, we're I don't think we're going to change. <laughs> that's how we are. That's who we are. It's in our DNA. Well, I think that's how you guys have stayed around for so long, right? Like, it's just the reality of it, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're one of the incumbents today, uh, which is which is sort of a different situation. When the, 10 years ago, we, we were one of the new guys on the block. Sure. Uh, and we were uh, probably an annoyance to the, the big boys. Um, <laughs> today, we're an incumbent and others are coming to chase us. And that's also fun because again um that's what really makes uh us tick is is to uh be able to figure out how to stay competitive and how to help our customers to stay competitive and without that competition uh it wouldn't be as much fun would it no i i 100 agree with you i i think some like it's it's interesting that you mentioned like competition can be good and motivating right It, it it is uh, I mean, that's why the market economy always wins, <laughs> because competition is motivating, and it it uh, it's what makes uh, things fun, and and to to and and it creates business opportunities. And of course, uh, we saw a huge business opportunity within PIM a long time ago. Um, maybe to some extent, we were too early with some some things, as I said. But on the other hand, today, uh, there's hundreds of players coming in uh, to our domain uh, from different angles and, and with different concepts. And, and uh, they're, they're changing the ways that we play our game, too. But that's a good thing because they're, they're putting pressure on us. They're putting pressure on our incumbents to, 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 to make better product and to help our customers become more successful. So uh, it, it's, um, it's, uh, it's just a good thing for it's healthy with competition and and uh we we love competition we don't like to lose but we love competition <laughs> sure but we're kind of coming to the end of the show so how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about in river and any other links you want to mention yeah absolutely uh, the best way of, of getting information about InRiver is, of course, our website, uh, inriver.com. Uh, you also have our blog posts on inriver.com and, and videos. Uh, we also do um, a lot of um, webinars uh, with customers, with analysts and others that can be very educational. Uh, and of course, um, if you want to reach out to me, um, I'm always open for, for a dialogue. So uh, uh, please don't hesitate to contact me. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Me as well. Okay. Bye. 
Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. And keep building the future.